Welcome to Actions Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. Oftentimes in life, we want to make some sort of a change, some kind of a transition, and we have a limited mindset with regards to the stories that we tell ourselves about what is possible, what is related. We oftentimes hear something along the lines of, find your transferable skills, which for some people only means the obvious, and for some people only means that you can only make small changes, say from software engineer to data scientist or something that's quite a bit related. However, my guest today, Caitlin Bornkamp, who is the founder of Feel Great with Kate, made the transition from accountant to nutritional wellness coach, if I'm saying that right. Caitlin, welcome to the program. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me. And is that right? Nutritional wellness coach? Yeah, I like to go by wellness advisor because there's so much more to nutrition or so much more to wellness than just nutrition. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that's like one aspect of what you put into your body, but there's like, do you move your body? Do you get sunlight? Do you put yourself under stress? All those things, you probably have a more comprehensive list than I do. Exactly. Exactly. So the first thing I want to ask is that there's probably a lot of people listening and also a lot of people out there in the world that are doing something that they're not so thrilled with at this point in time, looking to get something different to their lives, looking to make a change and not seeing maybe even a connection between what they're doing and what they want. Now, accounting to wellness advising, to nutritional type of thing, does not sound obvious to most people. What is the what is the connection and what makes them, in your view, related to one another? Yeah, I love this question. And I, I actually get this response a lot when people kind of hear my background and things. So I would say a few, a few ways that financial reporting accounting are related to health and wellness. And one of them has to do with, you know, how it impacts us personally. So when we think of something like accounting and finance, like an organization, the health of an organization, right? There's so many different things going on. And most oftentimes, most people in the organization, they don't really want to know what the accountants are doing. They're like, yeah, you guys got it covered. You know, we appreciate you. We know we need you. But most people in the organization are like, you guys got it. You know, I don't really want to know. Yeah, It's a very complex system. There's a lot of different points of information, data, as we call it in financial systems today, coming from a lot of different parts to the organization. In fact, all part to the organization, right? They need to be rolled up. They need to be consolidated. For us accounting nerds out there, those are called, you know, adjusting journal entries, right? And it goes into financial reports. If you're public, it gets reported out to Wall Street, right? Which sort of indicates like a stock price. So let's just compare the health of an organization to something like a stock price, because these are things that people can relate to versus going into our health and really thinking of our bodies are complex systems as well. We take in information from all different parts of our life. Like you've already mentioned a few of the big ones, right? Exercise, sleep, sunlight, stress, all of those things beyond just what we typically think of as nutrition and the food that we put in our body. Our body is doing this subconsciously, kind of like in an organization where we don't know what the accounts are doing. We don't really have to know all the the fun health (laughs) stuff that our body is doing all the time, right? It just does it. And so if you give it the right sort of data, like in a system, if you get good data in, good data out versus in health, if you give it the right nutrients and the right things, the inputs, you're going to have over overall really high sense of well-being, high level of health, that sort of thing. So that's sort of from a theoretical standpoint as to how financial reporting and accounting are similar to health. I would say from a more tactical and personal perspective, right? It's it's about understanding that our daily choices impact our overall and long-term well-being. So on an organization, you know, you think about on a day-to-day basis, there's hundreds or thousands of transactions, depending on what type of organization that you're, you know, you have going on, right? Mm-hmm. And on a day-by-day basis, we're not always looking at certain snapshots of, hey, how is this doing, right? 
And similarly on health, you may not see sort of the changes on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, maybe a little bit in terms of, you know, hey, if I don't have my coffee, I might get a headache type of thing. Your body's trying to tell you something. But how does that trend to the long-term health, right? Because ultimately that's what we're all looking to achieve is balancing the short-term satisfaction of, you know, the yummy food and the things that we do on a daily basis versus the long-term health. And we really do want to have that sort of longevity to our life. So it's that similar balance between both in finance and in health. And sometimes it's there together, right? So for example, you could take a night and say, we're going to have a great night out. We're going to get the fanciest food. We're going to have some drinks. We're going to dance until 3.30 in the morning. And that's probably going to be bad for your health in the long term because of the food you consume, the drink you consume, the alcohol. And it's probably also going to be bad, especially if you live in a pretty major metropolitan area, you could easily spend $100, $200 on a night out like that. Possibly more, to be honest. Like I, I bet there's a lot of people out there with fancier tastes than me. And those nights feel good. They feel good to your, your body in some way, right? Or psychologically, but they're not a habit. Whereas if you were to do that every single night, you'd end up, well, in a load of hurt, both financially and health-wise. Right. Yeah. Your bank account. You'd be getting a lot of points on your credit card, but yeah, probably not great for your overall monthly budget. Right. You're exactly right. It's sort of that balance of, you know, and nights like that, they may feed your soul, right? You may have a really great time dancing at 3 a.m. at the bar or something, whatever, whatever you like to do at 3 a.m. If you do that every day, that's when you'll start to start to get in sort of a world of hurt. Yeah, for sure. And so what is the balance of what do you say in, in both capacities toward nights like that? Or any event like that. It doesn't have to take the same form, but it could be any other way of like, okay, I bought a cake for my birthday and Mm -hmm. cake's not the best thing for me, but I'm going to have it. And if you were to live life never splurging, never going for the thing, there'd be a certain monotony to it. I don't know. I don't know if there's like a balance you can find where people can figure out how often or in what capacity they can nourish their soul with something that's bad for their long-term health, but also still maintain their long-term health through normal daily habits? Absolutely. This is such a great question because it, it totally comes up, you know, when I'm talking to people and everybody wants to be healthier, but of course we want to eat the donut too, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, how can we have both? Can we have both? I think the answer is yes, obviously in moderation. So what is moderation? How do we define that? I like to go sort of by, you know, the 90-10 rule or maybe the 80-20 rule, depending on your level of health. So if you're at a pretty good point in your health, right, you don't have an autoimmune condition, you don't have any sort of large underlying diseases or anything like that, most people can kind of get away with an 80-20, where 80% of the time you're eating very nutritious food, majority of them are home cooked, you know, they're high quality, they're well-balanced meals, all the good things, you know, you're getting movement, you're getting exercise. And then, you know, the rest of the 20%, those are your Friday, Saturday nights where you're able to have the pizza and drink the beer type of thing. As long as you don't let that additional 20% sort of creep in and, you know, you don't have huge benders on the weekend that takes you three days to recover in the next week sort of thing, you're going to be okay. And that's one thing I always like to instill with people that I work with is our bodies are very resilient. They're actually much more resilient than we even realize. And so we have a lot to be thankful for. And also we can use that in our benefit to enjoy those sorts of fun things. And, you know, another way I would relate this back actually to, you know, sort of accounting and finance and and things like that is when I'm working with large organizations for financial transformations, we have to use the same principles. Anytime you're dealing with any sort of system or, you know, financial reporting, 
you can't solve for a hundred percent of it. It just won't work. You can't automate something and solve also for a hundred percent of the use cases. So you sort of always default to this 80-20 rule. So it's very common also in the industry as well, in any sort of transformation or system of implementation to sort of figure out what do we need to make our 80% up of? And then what is our 20%? What can we kind of get away with on the 20% and handle that, you know, however it needs to be handled? And now what role does finding habits that are both healthy and nourishing to the soul play? First of all, if you even believe that's possible. Yeah. You mean nourishing habits? The bender that was nourishing to the soul, but not very healthy for the long term. When we talk about, say, okay, eating, I don't know, some sort of really healthy food and having one of those days where you cook all your meals at home, they're all really nutritious, you do a workout, but none of it's necessarily soul nourishing. They're just like kind of those habits to to get by. Is there a role or even a necessity to find habits that are both good for the long term and nourishing to the soul? Absolutely. And it is possible. It's completely possible. So this is where the mindset work comes in. So you know that saying where the wife wants her husband to want to do the dishes type of a thing, right? Yeah. So this is this is where this plays in, where you want to get to a point where you want to eat the healthy food. And most people, if you're on the other side of it, where you know you're just starting your health journey or you're kind of eating a lot of processed food and you think, I'm never gonna want to eat a salad, Caitlin. I'm like, okay, let's not start with salads. Okay. We don't have to force you to eat salads right away. That's not the mm-hmm. point. The point is let's think about this in a mindset where yes, our habits can be healthy. And if we approach it in a way that's welcoming to us, where, you know, we don't sort of, we don't have to eat salads every day, basically. So if I were to tell somebody who's just starting off on their health journey, okay, well, the only way for you to be healthy is to eat a salad for breakfast. They're going to be like, that's disgusting, (laughs) right? Right. You're even your face right now. You're like, oh gosh, that does not sound very yummy. So let's not start off with that. Let's start off with something else. Maybe let's focus on dinner. Let's focus on lunches. Let's focus on increasing vegetables in another way that's not a salad that you're not going to just cringe at when you think of. And what will happen over time is a few things. One, a lot of people don't know this, but your taste buds change pretty quickly. So if you change your diet over a course of two to three weeks, your taste buds will change significantly. If you take out the ultra processed foods for a few weeks, the you know more whole foods such as vegetables and nuts and things like that will actually have much greater flavor to you. So that's the first thing I would say is there's a reason that your brain is sort of playing this trick on you right now as to why what quote unquote healthy foods, why they aren't tasting good to you to begin with. And Mm. it has a lot to do with sort of the flavoring and the additives and processed foods. And then also it's the mindset too, where I love this part when I get to get to this point with clients is I suggest a few things, they make a few changes And, you know, a month goes by and they don't want to go back to eating the same things that they were doing. And that's on their own agenda because they've realized how they feel. They've realized how much more clarity they have at work. They've realized how much more energy they have at 2 p.m. And they're not reaching for that second cup of coffee. So once you get a little sort of flavor, you know, pun intended here, right? Once you get a little bit sort of flavor as to how good nourishing food can feel, you're much more motivated to want those habits and to answer your first question, right? It goes back to, yes, habits can be nourishing and you can want to do them as well. So you're saying that if you train your taste buds a little bit, if you get your taste buds more accustomed to the types of food that are better for you long-term, you're going to start craving those out of some sort of mental desire for consistency or is there some other mechanism? Yeah, I would say that's part of it. I would also just say, you know, let's not let's not go to the the word craving because I think some people will probably still be hung up on that, right? They will taste better to you. So you'll be more likely to want to eat them as opposed to the first thought of eating a salad for breakfast. I personally 
people are going to think I'm crazy. I eat salad all the time with breakfast, right? I love popping on an egg on top of some mixed greens. And that took me a while to work up to. I used to eat the typical cereal. I used to eat, you know, the highly flavored protein shake that was super yummy and sweet. I have a sweet tooth myself. So going to something like a savory thing for breakfast, you know, I had to reorient myself as well. So it it takes time to get there. And it's not something that you have to do every day. That's sort of going back to the 80-20 thing is that anything you kind of hear in the realm of health and wellness is you don't have to do it strict 100% of the time every single day. I think that's what we kind of get hung up on is immediately as humans, we're like, oh, that's way too rigid for me. You know, again, I want to be able to eat donut. I want to be able to have the pizza and the beer or whatever, you know, once in a while, it's like, okay, we can do both things. Uh, You just have to be able to find what works for you. And with this whole retraining your taste buds or developing new habits, is it similar to the other habit research where they often tell you that if you get to say 21 days, and I don't know if that's a magic number, I've heard other people dispute that number and say it varies from person to person, situation to situation, but is it about kind of overcoming, getting over a wall to the point where, okay, for a while you're forcing yourself, for a while you're reliant on your willpower to say we all have a limited amount of willpower, as so many other people have said as well. But then once you get over that hump, you start to desire in some sort of way. You start to to want this new behavior that you've gotten to, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. And I love that you brought up the willpower because, again, I think that's another huge misnomer in the the realm of health and wellness, again, is that people are like, well, if I have to rely on willpower every single day for the rest of my life, like I'm not going to do it. And we've all done that, right? If you've tried to do some sort of diet or some sort of, you know, I'll start on Monday with a new workout routine, whatever the thing is, you realize pretty hard that you cannot rely on willpower for the rest of your life. I mean, which it's just limited. That's that's just who we are as humans. So yeah, I don't know exactly to what the, the exact timing is in terms of science as to when your taste buds change. I would venture to guess that I'm sure it varies for all of us. I'm sure it varies as to what food you're currently eating you know, what food you're changing it up with, you know, do you sort of have a ramp up period where you only eat half your food as processed and half as whole foods, or do you go full straight send to all whole foods and all nourishing foods? So, you know, it kind of varies probably I'm assuming, but going back to the willpower. Yeah. I would say, so let's just use the example of 21 days. I think that's a good estimate. You know, the other, Mm -hmm. the other quote out there is to really instill a new habit. You have to do it for 66 days. So whatever that time period is in between 21 to 66 days, I think another key shift is happening as well. So we don't have to rely as much on willpower because our identity is changing. And so one huge reason I see people fail when they instill new quote unquote healthy habits or, you know, their new year's resolutions related to health is because they're only relying on willpower. They're not sticking with it long enough for it to become their new identity, right? Mm. So think of how different this sounds. Oh, I'm really trying to eat healthier so I can lose weight. Well, that implies a sense of lack. If you're trying to do something, you're not doing it, okay? And in your mind, you're letting yourself have an escape. You're letting yourself say, well, I'm just trying to do this knowing farewell that you probably won't, right? You're sort of leaving this huge gap that says, well, if I don't do this, it's fine. It's just another one of those things that I tried and it didn't work. Versus if you rely on your willpower for you know the short couple of weeks, it's long enough for you to feel how it feels to actually execute whatever the new habit is, then you can be able to shift your identity honestly. So you're no longer just lying to yourself when you say, I am somebody who shows up and goes to the gym three days a week. That's a lot different than just, I'm trying to lose weight, right? Yeah. You're showing up even to yourself. You, you know, you're always listening to yourself and people, we kind of forget about this fact of, ties in a little bit to the placebo effect, right? Where the more we believe in something, the more it actually will be true. So at what point do you start believing? Because I think there's some schools of thought out there that will say, let's just say, you say, I'm going to make my lunch every day. And so now you suddenly say, 
I'm no longer the person who drives through the drive-thru. I'm the person that prepares a lunch at noon every day. Does it take a few days for you to actually believe it before you can start saying this I am as opposed to I'm trying to statement? Yeah, I would say it takes a few weeks for sure. And another thing to consider too is, you know, there's always the old adage of when you're starting a new habit, tell people about it. I think that this reconfirms exactly what I'm saying is that if you tell other people, just like you said, I'm the person who brings my lunch, you know, you tell your colleague or, you know, now a lot of people work from home, whoever you're going to tell, right? Even your colleagues virtually, I, I make my lunch every single day. You are basically creating self-accountability from the people around you just because you told them that you were going to do something, thus reinstilling that identity that you're trying to create. So in terms of how long does it take, it's a few factors, you know, varies varies for everyone. And I would say, try your best at first. This is where having an accountability coach comes in. This is where having the support of family and friends comes in. This is where I think another key part that often goes unlooked or untalked about is what are those thoughts that you're thinking to yourself when nobody's around? What are those thoughts that you're thinking to yourself when you're tired and you sat down on the couch after a long day at work? What are you thinking and feeling then? That is still your true identity. I'm a morning person, so I get most of my bursts of energy in the morning. So it's very easy for me to wake up, pop out of bed, and just feel really good about the day and all the things that I'm trying to create and you know the new habits I'm trying to instill. And yes, I'm going to do this. And then you know slowly throughout the day, you're given opportunities to show up and do them. The next time that that opportunity comes up, so let's say, for example, we're talking about eating lunch at a drive-thru. Okay, mm-hmm. lunchtime comes around the next day. What are you doing? First, I would ask you, if you're trying to create a new identity of somebody who brings lunch or prepares lunch, did you already prepare the lunch? Because having the identity of somebody who prepares lunch is going to be a lot easier if you already prepared yourself with the lunch. Does that make sense? Versus having lunchtime pop up and being like, crap, I don't have a lunch right now. I have to go to the drive-thru. So that habit you need to make easier and the old habit you need to make harder. So the old habit you make harder, the new habit you make easier, which seems pretty straightforward, right? Question is, does that originate from the mindset? Like, do you have to think about it before you put those systems in place? So let's just say, if you want to make it harder to go through the drive through maybe you kind of put your wallet somewhere else and put the food you're going to cook right there. Or I'm, I'm just trying to think of, you know, kind of those general placement issues. Does that originate from you telling yourself, like, are you not going to do the things you need to do to make the old habit harder and the new habit easier until your self-talk becomes more in line with the new habit? Exactly. Yes, definitely. I would say that part probably specifically uh, comes from the willpower. So this is where it would be very helpful for you to use your willpower because it is so limited in energy. Use your willpower very strategically. Use your willpower not in the moment of when you're making that decision. Because again, it's a really high cost to our willpower. It takes a lot more willpower for me to decline driving through the drive-through every day if I'm used to doing that versus a tiny amount of willpower, like you just said, for me to put my keys somewhere else or for me to put my wallet somewhere else the night before, you know, or the day before the morning that you get into the office, whatever the situation is, right? Versus in the moment when you're starving and you're hungry and you're craving the food that you're used to eating. You know, it's, it's another example too as to you can't stop snacking or something in the pantry. Super simple thing. You know, a lot of people are like, well, I can't stop buying it. I have kids in the house, whatever your situation is. Okay, that's fine. Well, then just put something in front of that in the pantry. That way, every time you open the pantry, that bag of chips isn't staring you in the face, right? It's a lot lower level of willpower to put something in front of the bag of chips in the pantry than it is to not grab the chips in the moment that you're hungry. So is part of the struggle 
identifying periods of time when you have a lot of willpower. Like say for you, it's first thing in the morning. So first thing in the morning, you're energetic as a morning person and you're going to naturally feel like, okay, I want this new habit to you know take place. So it's 8 a.m. I'm happy. I'm energetic. I haven't quite started my workday. I'm going to start doing the things now, whether it be say, I don't know, putting the chicken out to thaw that you will be thawed by the time it's time to make lunch. And you can just kind of chop it up and put it into something healthy or something like that. If another person's a night owl and then they're, you know, naturally at their best at 10, 11 midnight, maybe they're the ones that should be doing some of these habits at 10, 11 midnight. At that point in time, you have a lot of energy and you're saying, okay, what can I do? What can I do to uh, even say, put a book more accessible than my phone the next time I want to like, instead of scrolling through Instagram, read something more meaningful. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a great point. You know, I hadn't totally correlated it between the morning person and the night owl, but I love that idea. You know, it's sort of like finding what works for you. And the way that you do that is trial and error Yeah, by trying new habits and seeing what worked, what didn't work. You know, another aspect I would say that's similar and overlaps between, you know, financial reporting and finance versus health and wellness is, It's very common in large transformation projects to do what's called a retrospective. And basically what that means is you have a look back as to what went well, what didn't go well, what can we do different next time? Most people, when they're setting new healthy habits, never do a retro of their past healthy habits and say, okay, this is, you know, the 10th year in a row, I'm trying to lose weight for New Year's resolution. What did I do last year? What worked? What didn't work? And be honest with yourself, right? And if we're talking about some of these, these habits, right, in terms of things that you can do on a daily basis... Only you will know that. And it's important for you to sort of gather that information because then it'll help you make better decisions in in the future. So there's different ways to do that. Again, working with a coach is a great idea because then you sort of have somebody to talk to about it and, you know, bounce ideas off of, of, oh, I tried this. It's like, okay, well, let's try this differently next time. You know, another way you could do it is as you're trying to instill a new habit or work on whatever the new thing is, write down a few things. What went well today? What didn't go well today? What could I have done differently? And going back to how do you prepare and sort of using willpower, I would say what you need to do in order to help you nail the next healthy habit is think through who would you be if. So who would you be if you were the person who didn't go through the drive-thru and brought lunch every day? How would that person wake up in the morning? They'd probably have lunch prepared, right? Or at least they would have a plan for lunch. They wouldn't just wake up like a normal day, drink the coffee, have the breakfast, then wait for lunch to roll around and be like, oh, shoot. I guess I can't make lunch today because I don't have any food in the fridge and I didn't prepare lunch, right? It's like you have to sort of have a little bit of planning and really think about when you are planning it. It's not about just, I get, I have some qualms with our society today and just, just do the habit, just do it. It's like, there's, again, that's, that's only relying on willpower. Like we've already acknowledged, that'll only get you so far. You really have to bring in the identity piece and think about when you are planning to nail your habit. Who are you if? Who are you when you are the person who's already showed up nailing that new habit? Yeah. And so I got to bring this up, given that we're recording this in mid-March. I had read somewhere that the average New Year's resolution only lasts until January 19th. That's That's been told that we're the median date in which people have been in their resolutions. Is there like a better time for people to resolve things or a better, say, increment in which to resolve? Because it seems like there seems to be some reliant on willpower, at least in the beginning, until you kind of achieve this new identity. But is our willpower, say, being used at the wrong time of year, being that New Year's is oftentimes the coldest, most depressing time of year for a lot of people in the US and you know Europe and East Asia and stuff like that? 
Or are we trying to do too much at once? Do we need to kind of say, okay, we need to use our willpower to like change this one habit. And then once we get through that, undeplete, you know, revive our willpower that's been depleted and then kind of use it to change another habit, little bit in increments at a time, as opposed to just this grand plan on New Year's Eve when you're, you know, a little bit sloshed. Yeah, that's a great question. I think it depends on each person. I don't think there's a bad time to start a new habit or to change your health. What I don't like about the New Year's situation is that we're most of us are coming off of the holiday season where we binge a lot. We sort of give ourselves this big permission to eat more than we would eat, you know, eat all the sweets that we don't don't normally eat. We probably drink a little bit more, you know, all the fun stuff, right? All the holiday parties and all the good stuff. So it feels really good because, you know, holidays are all warm and fuzzy and stuff. But from a health perspective, we kind of let ourselves just sort of fall off the bandwagon. And then we use a New Year's resolution time, you know, January is a time to, you know, do dry January because I just drank a bunch the last few weeks over Christmas and New Year's and Hanukkah and all the good holidays. And so it's a mindset thing we're really setting ourselves up kind of for failure because we're just saying, well, I'm going to let myself go for the six weeks between Thanksgiving and New Year's. And then don't worry, body, I'll just fix you in January and we'll be good to go. So you're you're already sort of approaching it as a short-term habit. You're already sort of approaching it as, well, I'm only, I only really need to do this in January, right? Yeah. And one obvious thing I would say to that, if people are like, well, no, Caitlin, I start off January with really good intentions to continue this habit. I would ask, okay, well, what were your habits that you tried to do last January that you weren't doing last holiday season in November and December, right? By November and December, they're gone. They're long gone, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's why I say there's really no bad time to start a new habit. I would just sort of say, you can use the momentum for New Year's resolutions if it works for you, but don't approach it from the mindset of, I'm just going to use my willpower. You really have to change your identity. And that's what most people miss. Another thing I would say too, that just came up for me is, when we're talking about this whole New Year's resolution thing, every Monday is kind of like a mini New Year's resolution. If you think Hmm. about it, everybody is like, I'm going to start on Monday. Okay. The weekend, right? Weekend. So Friday is kind of like November because it's sort of like a half day in in November where Thanksgiving is at the end of the month. And then Saturday and Sunday are basically like December. And then Monday comes around and it's January 1st. You're like, oh, I'm going to start on Monday. And you like ramp up and you have all these good things to eat healthier, exercise or go to the gym or whatever your New Year's resolution is. And then by the end of the week on Friday, you're already ready to party again. Yeah. Like in, for a lot of people, Tuesday night is wing night in a lot of places. You've already done something Tuesday, which is kind of the equivalent of mid-March, I guess. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I have to, you know, be 100% vulnerable and admit that the one time I did dry January, you know, did it for the whole month of January, but then um, February 4th, I was walking around town looking for a credit card I had misplaced at a bar only to realize that I had not misplaced it on February 3rd. I had actually misplaced it on February 1st and not even realized it. So I know firsthand about how dry January could really be thought of as lasting only the month of January. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? So it's like when you go into something already kind of knowing when it'll end, it goes back to the statement of I'm trying to, you know, you're, you're giving yourself an out, which is okay. I would say, you know, for anybody who's curious or for anybody who just successfully completed dry January, like congrats to you. I do think that there's still merit in that. It's still a great accomplishment. You you are still learning a lot about yourself. It's really more so of when I talk about being, you know, a wellness advisor to people, I'm trying to elevate their health baseline. And that means, you know, we may take two steps forward and one step back at certain times. So it's not about not making mistakes, but it's basically about how can we instill sustainable habits that you will take with you for the rest of your life, you know, continuing to want to do the healthy habits. Yeah. 
And then you talk a lot about mindset and the mindset that leads to the habits. Is there a return where the new habits, say the different food you're ingesting or the different habits you're, say you're reading a book instead of mindless social media content or anything like that, where that in turn enhances your mindset, has an impact on your mindset that makes it easier to say, do the next thing. So, okay, now I, I stopped you know, going to the fast food drive-through, but now I want to do the reading instead of social media thing. Now I want to do the working out thing. Now I want to do the being nicer to other people thing. Now I want to do the trust my instinct thing, all the other things that people then want to do. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really sort of this beautiful thing that unfolds where once you gain trust in yourself to accomplish one goal, it really opens the door of opportunity in your mind to say, Hey, what else have I been afraid to try that I want to try now? I also want to make sure that we cover a bit about your personal story. Now, you start out your adult life as an accountant. Uh, kind of what brought you to that field originally? I was undeclared when I went into college and really decided on accounting, honestly, because it sounded really good. It sounded safe. It sounded like there was going to be a secure job. Also, my father has a background as an accounting uh, professional and CPA, and he owned his own firm. So I think I was partial to that as well mm -hmm. and really realized. So when I took some accounting classes, it, it just made sense. It clicked for me and I was good at it. So it's like, all right, this is great. You know, I have a secure job lined up. That's what you're supposed to do is go to college and get a good job. And so it all just sort of made sense to me at the time. Mm -hmm. And then what made you, I guess, feel or decide that you wanted to make a change? Did, did like this nutrition and wellness stuff call you or were you starting to like, feel like you wanted something else? To answer that, I'll go back a little bit further than that. So before, before college, I had been experiencing depression from a traumatic breakup that I went through. And, and through that experience, I developed an eating disorder. And so in college, I overcame that eating disorder and really shifted my mindset around food and nutrition, total 180, where I started to view food as fuel for my body. At the time, I had found CrossFit, which was really instrumental in sort of my own, you know, physical journey um, and wellness journey. And then, you know, over the years, had just been super interested in learning more about how our body works and how the food that we eat impacts our performance, specifically at the time, the gym. And then also sort of helping to sort of myself with depression, making that connection of the food that we eat also impacts our mental health as well. And from there, I've just been super passionate about it. And, you know, at the time, I think, you start off your own journey just with an intention to help yourself. And over the years, I realized, you know, my friends were coming to me to answer questions or, you know, they were sort of wanting to learn, you know, what kind of diet is Caitlin on now, right? All the different things that I was trying and doing and really realized after a certain point that we look to our medical profession to help be our healthcare, right? It's called a healthcare mm -hmm. system. And and I read a book by Dr. Mark Hyman that explained that, in fact, medical doctors here in the United States get very little training on nutrition. And that was really when it clicked for me. And the fact that I just felt, you know, a really big responsibility to take responsibility for myself, for my own nutrition, my own health, and really wanted to dive into it deeper and to help be that person for other people as well, to be their wellness advisor that they can come to and answer, you know, ask those questions and get help to what I like to call raise your health baseline, right? So that you can feel better at everything you're doing, including perform better at your job and be happier while you're doing it as well. So now that you work with clients as, uh, you know, the wellness advisor, do you work with a lot of people who are in or have gone through similar situations that you've gone through? Definitely. You know, one of the situations people find themselves in most often is just eating what they think that they should eat and they're not feeling how they think that they should feel. So by that, I mean, we eat typical diet. It's becoming more and more processed every day. We're looking to just do what's easy, right? We live in a modern time and we need convenience food and that's just how our modern world is. And 
you know, there's nothing really wrong with that except for when you get to how are you feeling on a daily basis, right? How are you sleeping? Are you really stressed? Do you have high levels of anxiety? For myself, I struggle with depression. When you start to realize that, oh, okay, something bigger in my environment with all the things that we mentioned, the sleep, the stress, the food, they all impact how I feel on a daily basis. And so it's about sort of helping people acknowledge and in their own situation, because it's different for everyone. We all have bio-individual needs at any given point in time. How can we get their body back in balance so that they can optimize their health? And if someone's in a really stressful situation, let's say someone has to work two jobs to survive, or they have a job that they really feel stuck in, but really, really bringing them down, is it possible to help in some way by getting better nutrition? Or do a lot of these other ambient things, such as I'm getting no sunlight, I'm getting terrible sleep, I have you know all sorts of stress, I'm getting abused by my boss, which happens a lot. Um, do those things actually need to change for anything to really get better? You can definitely start where you are. There's absolutely things that you can do, even if you don't plan on or you're not able to quit your job right away, if that's a situation that you're in. There's definitely things that we can work on to support your nutrition. There's other ways to get, you know, vitamin D and sunlight. We can get really strategic with it. So yeah, I would say definitely, you know, I I love working with busy professionals who are in the stress state because there's so many things that you can do to support the foundations that'll help improve your overall health. And again, something will unfold. You'll get to a breaking point where you'll push and push and push, but you'll be able to do all the things that are within your control. And it'll be very clear to you what's left to change in your life and those things that are out of your control, such as making a big decision as, should I leave this job? That decision will be much more clear to you once you've sort of cleaned up your your nutrition and your wellness enough to sort of calm the stress state down. And so what is the true connection? You've talked a little bit about this already between changing your nutrition and changing your mindset, because it seems like you said you need a little bit of a mindset change before you change your nutrition. Changing your nutrition can impact your mindset start with an open mindset and go to what you're most interested in doing right now. So if you've been feeling really drawn to try a specific type of diet, try it and see how you feel. If you've been really drawn to go to the gym and work out more and move your body, go do that. You know, just start. It's not about again being 100%, you know, smooth and acing it or really rigid. It's not about that. It's just lean into what you're feeling drawn to because it's so it's so interesting to me now to see Almost every client I work with, once I give them, you know, sort of their full assessment of symptoms and and blood work that we get into, it makes sense to them. They tell me Hmm. this confirms sort of what I was feeling. So we all inherently have this, you know, you call intuition, but just a sense of what do I need right now? What, what should I be doing to sort of help me feel better? And if you just start there with what you feel most drawn to or what you feel like you just cued your interest most recently, start there and start on the journey. And, you know, if you need help along the way, of course, there's people like me who are, who are here to help you, but everybody's on their own journey. And so it's just about starting and it's about starting with an open mindset. Like you mentioned, it's a really cool sort of cascade of effects that happens where once you start on one thing and you sort of nail that, or, you know, even if you're still a little wobbly, right, you're not totally acing the new habit, but you get the, you get the excitement, you get the, you know, interest in it. And you're like, okay, well, if that, if that made me feel this way, and I didn't know I could feel that way, how will this other thing make me feel right? And it just sort of cascades from there. And that's a good segue. I like to give all my guests as much as possible a chance to uh, give my listeners some information. Um, feel good with Kate. What would be the best way if someone was interested in talking to you about your services, about uh, the wellness consulting, about you know everything that we've talked about already on this podcast? Uh, what would be the best way someone could get a hold of you? 
Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Feel Great with Kate. That's where I'm pretty active and like to share all the things that you know I'm into, as well as you know, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn as well and connect with me there at Caitlin Bornkamp. Uh, thank you very much. And then is there also a connection between the food that we intake into our body and what we intake into our mind being say what we're reading, what we're watching, the kind of people around the type of messaging that we're receiving and whether or not that messaging is empowering or disempowering. A hundred percent. Yes. Everything we consume is information to our body in one way or another. And so do these things need to be done in tandem or does it, is it more likely to happen where if someone say starts taking in better nutrition into their body, they're suddenly in this new habit and saying, well, I don't want to read this crap anymore. I don't want to listen to this stupid show anymore. It's just like, not, not what I need. Absolutely. I think you can start with one or the other, or if you're an overachiever, like most people I know you can start with both at the same time, but regardless of where you start, it'll make you more sensitive to the other. So by that, I mean, if you start to sort of notice what you're putting in your body and how you feel, you'll also be much more likely to notice the information that you're consuming and how that makes you feel emotionally and mentally as well. That's awesome. And then your transition. So when you decided that you were going to move on from accounting to feel great with Kate, what inspired that other than kind of what people were coming to you, asking you for tips about things? Was there an event or a situation that made you decide, okay, now's this time to move on. Now's this time to to kind of go and take on this as my full-time endeavor. I realized that the rising rates of disease in this country can be largely prevented and people are suffering on a regular basis when that's really not necessary. And mm-hmm. I think that it's all within our own, you know, responsibility. We each have our, our responsibility to take care of our own health. And I think in our modern world today, we sort of get that confused. We're a little bit too busy we're too stressed, you know, we're not in tune with our bodies, those sorts of things. And it just sort of creates this commotion. We're just going through life with this commotion of doing everything that we think we quote unquote should do, right? Live the life that we should do to have the job, to pay the bills and do all the things. We're totally out of tune with our body. And I just am so inspired by people that are able to, like myself, make changes and really feel better. And I want everyone to be able to feel that. So it's kind of just observing what you're seeing around you and what we're all seeing around us, because it does feel like there's something about modern society that's a little bit out of balance with kind of like what what you need to be, have like a full human experience, like the amount of time we spend just kind of cooped up in our homes in front of computers or in our cubicles and stuff like that, as well as, you know, a lot of the things that people are missing. I know for most of the history of humanity, we spent way more time outside. We spent way more time in community. I believe that there's a even a movement like the slow foods movement around people like kind of just spending large chunks of their day just preparing a meal. Wow, I haven't heard of that. I'm gonna have to check that out. You talk about processed food and now, you know, and that's what like a lot of this fast food is. What defines something as quote unquote processed food? That's a good question. I define it as something taken out of its original form. You know, so even something like olive oil is moderately processed because it's, you're not eating the whole olive per se. But again, something like olive oil is much healthier than something like canola oil. And a lot of people don't know this, but canola oil is highly processed. Um, There's a lot of different machines and things that it has to go through for it to be denatured and reconstituted and all these sort of, you know, I'm, you know, don't quote me on some of the terms I'm using, but it's a much longer processing period. Um, So basically it's, it's taking things apart or putting you know, things 
from different things together to make a new thing that aren't normally naturally found in nature. The difference between white and brown rice is the easiest way for me to kind of wrap my brain around something like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it also goes over to on the spectrum of, you know, natural, less natural. There's also unnatural, which I would call a synthetic and that's man-made, you know, and those are things such as some natural flavors that's synthetic. A lot of the different compounds that are being added to food nowadays are synthetic, which basically just means it's not found in nature at all. You know, it's kind of made in a lab somewhere. Like Velveeta? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like Velveeta. Not, not to throw shade on one specific uh, <laughs> grocery store item, but I mean, like, I mean, it's like, it's not cheese, right? Right. Exactly. Well, you know, American <laughs> cheese isn't cheese either. Yeah. That's why I remember hearing it's like some other synthetic thing, right? Yeah. That's another thing that I actually experienced in my own journey. You know, American cheese is on this list of things that I remember a time that I used to actually enjoy eating. I remember a time I used to really like it. Same thing with um, this other food called Hot Pockets. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. In college, it was so easy for me because you just heat it up for two minutes and, you know, it's like right there. And I used to like go to the Walmart and buy like six boxes at a time. So I always had them in my dorm room and stuff like that. And now like, I can't even bring myself to eat one to be 100% honest. Yeah. And by that, do you mean it doesn't taste very good to you? My mouth doesn't want it for lack of a better yeah. way to put it. Yeah. It's not the same as it once was. Yeah. And like, just because like my body's gotten, I've somehow gotten used to eating different food and maybe I'm snobbier. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not claiming it's all good stuff, but yeah. Well, I think that's another example too of how your taste buds can change over time, right? Both sort of emotionally as to what you crave versus now what you're kind of used to eating and what your taste buds are used to tasting. And yeah, your, your body evolves. And that's one thing I would say too, like we talked about is people don't anticipate that. People think that what you desire and crave today will be what you always desire and crave. Therefore, it will be hard to be healthy, right? I'm paraphrasing here, yeah. but that's the general sense. And I just want to leave everyone with the idea that it absolutely doesn't have to be that way. You know, think of any time in your life that you changed your mindset around something or that you you do something now that comes easy and naturally to you that once was very hard to you. And I would just encourage you to look at health and wellness in the same aspect. And speaking of changing mindset around things, to go from being an accountant to being a wellness advisor, did you have to go through your own mindset change in order to get to where you are today? Absolutely. I would say, you know, when I first started off on my wellness journey myself, it was very much just for my own health and wellness and my own learnings and things. And I think starting, you know, the certification process when I really decided I want to do something more than just, you know, be passionate about it and read all the books and things, I sought out certification to get more education on. And at the time I told myself, this will still just be for my own knowledge. It'll still be for my own journey, which I think most people play safe when they're first starting off something new, they play safe. And yeah. they tell, I told myself, you know, it'll just be for this. It'll just be for this. If I don't use it for any other reason other than my own personal health, it'll be okay. And then, you know, quickly realize that why, why did I believe that? The only reason I really believed that was because I was scared. I was afraid mm. to change something in my current life. I was afraid to take you know, radical responsibility and answer to my deepest desires of what's within myself, because it would mean that I would have to break some norms. And it would mean that I would be, you know, putting myself up against judgment of myself and of my friends yeah. and family and, you know, going against, I think what you like to call the script, right? Yep. Yeah. Living by the script. Yeah. And that's scary. It's a scary place to be. Once you do enough mindset work to really get yourself to a point where anything's possible, it's freaking scary. 
Because then you realize anything's really possible and it's only up to you to make those things happen. And you're the only thing standing in your way. We do kind of live in a society that's a little bit, a little bit sick in a way, not to put it very bluntly, but there are a lot of people out there that are unhealthy, unhealthy in the mind, unhealthy in the body. It's kind of prevalent everywhere. So I'm really glad that you and a lot of other people are out there trying to you know, put a dent into that, make a difference to that and like kind of bring everyone back to health again. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us today, Caitlin, on Actions Antidotes uh, and sharing your story about how, first of all, we can make the connection between two things that seem unrelated to most people, but you said so eloquently what the true similarity is between financial accounting and accounting for your health or, you know, kind of the system involved in your health, how there's like so many inputs and a lot of things happening under the scene and how we go about measuring it and using habits to improve it and sharing your story about how you made that mindset shift and how you're helping a lot of other people make a lot of mindset shifts to um, overcome the, the whole barrier of limitations on our willpower, which is what I think is stopping a lot of people from changing so many habits. Definitely. Thanks for having me, Stephen. And I'd like to also thank all the listeners out there. And I hope you all uh, tune in to more episodes of Actions Antidotes and have a wonderful rest of your day and continue to work on yourselves and inspire others toward your journey. 